Welcome along to the Kielder Observatory podcast for September 2021. I'm Ian Brannan and in this episode I'm joined by Director of Astronomy Dan Pye and one of the newest astronomers to Kielder Observatory, Finn Burridge. And we'll talk to them about what you can expect to see in the night sky over the coming month and a bit of an update on what's been happening over the past few weeks. We're also going to speak to some of our recent visitors to Kielder Observatory to get their thoughts on the experience. There's more to a trip to Kielder Observatory than just staring into the night sky, as magnificent as it is. There's also talks about different aspects of the night sky and perhaps something that you can take home with you as well. We'll also find out why, to some of our visitors, the night sky has an extra special meaning. It definitely makes us think back because, uh, yeah, when we got engaged, we just sat out in the pier and just watched the sky and looked at all the uh, shooting stars and everything. So it was, uh, it was really nice and hopefully you can, yeah. We live that every year now. <laughs> First though, let's speak to our astronomers in residence this month. Finn Burridge and first Dan Pye, Director of Astronomy at Kielder Observatory. Um, we're just mentioning there about how the night sky is particularly good at this time of year for, for things that you can see. Um, how's it been for you? It's not been too bad. It's been all right. We've had some clear skies. Um, and the great thing is at this time of year, we've got, of course, the Milky Way, which is in a beautiful position at this time of year for us to, to look at once the uh, once there's no moon in the sky and the sun has disappeared below the horizon. We're starting to get our really dark nights back. Our astronomical darkness is, has returned, which is brilliant. So we get to see some... Uh, really nice structure to the Milky Way at this time of year, particularly if you're further down south. You, you're very lucky if you live on the south coast because you can start to gaze deeper into the core of our Milky Way. Here, here in the northeast, we don't, we kind of miss out on a good proportion of that really deep structure of the Milky Way. But we can still, of course, see some beautiful structure in it. Nevertheless, from here in the in the northeast as well. So, um, so that's that's the highlight, I guess, of this time of year is the Milky Way's out. We've got planets out as well. Well, incredible uh, views of, of Saturn and and um, and Jupiter and its moons as well over the last uh, few weeks, and it's always the one that gets a wow, um, especially Saturn. I think the the realization that people have when they look through the telescope and then they see the little rings around Saturn, and it's one of those things that, in fact, somebody said this in one of the uh, in one of the tours, which was. You, you see this stuff on the TV all the time, but then to be able to physically see it with your eyeballs, that's just something, to, that's a totally different experience, being able to physically see it with your eyeballs and capture those little photons of light that have been bounced off of Saturn as sent from the sun and then illuminated it for us to see in all its glory. So, um, so yes, I had some, some nice observations of stuff like that. Yeah, it's been good. And of course, um, Saturn and Jupiter, they, they've been visible with the naked eye, very, very obviously as stars, as, as dots in the sky. But because they've been in opposition over this last few weeks, um, unusually um, you know, bright in the sky for, for this time of year as well. And, and so it's something that you can see in the night sky, even if you don't have binoculars or a telescope or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. You could um, you could just look down towards the south. Once it comes to uh, to twilight kind of time, really, you start to see Jupiter coming out towards the um, towards the southeast, um, and then they'll they'll transit across the sky as the night progresses and disappear early hours of the morning. So if it's nice and clear where you are, just uh, head out at any time of night, and you should be able to look south and see a very very bright sight, it's the brightest one in that patch of sky, and that there will be Jupiter. And then if you hold your hand out at about arm's length. Um, and put your palm flat against the sky 
on the on the right hand side of your palm if you've got jupiter on the left hand side where your thumb is say you're using your right arm um, if you've got jupiter on one side uh, saturn should be on the right hand side of your hand um, about a hand's width away Okay, certainly one to look out for there. And of course, if you have got a telescope at your house, wherever you are, then uh, you can have a look and uh, you might see those those rings and amaze your friends. Uh, now, Finn is uh, one of the new additions to the team at Kielder Observatory and uh, is an astronomer and has been um, doing talks and uh, meeting people and showing people the night sky. Um, how has your first few weeks been, Finn? I, what is it a bit daunting standing up in front of the... Uh, the, you know, the, the paying crowd, if you like, uh, to, to, who are sat there and, and hanging on your every word. Oh, it can be. Yeah, it certainly can be. Uh, I have been, I've been up there for, uh, for four weeks now, uh, and I've done a, a number of the talks, uh, one of them about Saturn uh, and the moon as well. Um, but I do, uh, I do really, really enjoy it. Uh, it's, it's what I've always sort of wanted to do. Uh, I, I love talking about space, <laughs> and I love talking about the, the real physics of it. Um, so I've actually been sort of really diving in there and getting uh, in amongst it, uh, and, uh, and I'm, uh, I'm really finding that I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, I think what I've found so far, especially when, when I do talks and presentations, is that actually it's the, it's the kids that ask some of the best questions. Because they just they just have no reservations uh, about you know sounding silly or whatever. A lot of the time, adults can be a bit more reserved. Uh, they they might nod along, um, uh, but they haven't quite gauged uh, what what you've said. But uh, the kids will just come out and say, "Oh, please explain that again." Or, or, or how how does a black hole work? And and oftentimes I found with the with the younger ones, that's when I actually really get into it and start talking about some of the most interesting topics. Um, but uh, but yeah, I've been having a really good time so far. And has there been any any particular questions that have either caught you out or impressed you that you that that, that come to mind over over your first few weeks there? Uh, there was there was one actually, and he, he was about uh, nine or ten, and uh, we were doing a talk about light and light in the universe uh, and how it how it works, how it has a sort of like finite speed, how it's uh, it's not infinite; it travels uh, um, at a set rate. And and this this kid just asked, well, so does that mean then when you're sort of like near nearby big objects that time has to go slower? Wow! And that stunned me because that's that's relativity, that's Einstein, um, <laughs> and he was he was bang on, and and I ended up having this sort of like um, ten minute conversation, and his parents were just you know stood there at the back, sort of like going, I've got no idea where this is coming from. Um, and I just had this chat about relativity with this kid, um, and he was really, he was really into it. Yeah, but that that one stunned me. I have to say, I wasn't <laughs> expecting a question like that from a, a nine, ten year old, but I had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> Fantastic reincarnation but... of Einstein. Then. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got to keep an eye on, keep an eye on him because uh, yeah, he could be um, <laughs> of course discovering the, uh, the 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 mystical particles that are still missing from the universe. Who knows? Oh yeah, oh yeah, there are a few. What about you, Dan? Have you had any questions that that have come from uh, from from people that you've been you're speaking with and you? Any that particularly stand out for whatever reason? <laughs> Is the hot drink included in the ticket price? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> of course, the, I, I, the, you, you have to pay the small attention to detail in the fact that in, in the snack bar, all of the chocolate bars that are available all have um, a space theme. You'll notice that. 
yeah, they do. And and yeah. we're also very famed as having star bars always in stock, which is something that is actually quite a difficult chocolate bar to find in the in the real world. Uh, I call it the real world, like the observatory is like some mystical land. But yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, out, out in the real world, um, the, the the star bars you, you can't find them anywhere. But at the observatory, we always have star bars in stock. I used to like um, Mars planets. I was devastated when they stopped doing those. Um. <laughs> it just means that you can't yeah. you, you, unless they send a frog to space you can't stock freddos so there's always uh, there's always <laughs> that um we'll talk about the um the, some of the sessions now because what we want to do in this episode of the podcast is give people a bit of a feel of of what it's like to come to Keeldra observatory because i know that we have listeners um who are not necessarily even in the northeast and they're not necessarily even in the uk we have listeners to this podcast because i've been looking at the stats that i can find and um we've got listeners in canada we've got listeners in oh. new zealand listeners oh. in australia and uh, listeners in the netherlands i think as well so so a lot of these people, I assume, may have been to the observatory at some point, but perhaps they are interested passers-by who have searched for um, astronomy-based podcast entertainment and they've happened upon us and we welcome you with open arms. So what I wanted to do this month is, is give you a bit of an insight into what it's like coming to one of the sessions at Kielder Observatory, because if you haven't been before, maybe you wonder how it's going to be, what what's the experience going to be like. And one of the key parts of it is, of course, looking into the night sky, both with the naked eye and using our telescopes to see all manner of things in the universe. And of course, those things in the night sky can change as, as the year moves through and as, as we move through space. But one thing that is a constant is that we like to provide a talk to start things off, to, to give you a bit of a background of what it is that you are going to be looking at uh, or talking about if your event has got a specific theme, which many have. And the reason we do this, of course, is to, to give you something that to take away with you. You can use this knowledge in your life from, from there on, and you can amaze your friends with it as well. But it also gives you an understanding of what it is that you're looking at when we do open the telescopes up. And uh, it's a key part of the, the evening, isn't it, Dan? It's, it's, it's a really nice part of the evening as well for you. Yeah, it is. And we try and make it a, a, an entertainment-based experience. Ultimately, that's, that's what we aim to do, is to, to keep you entertained for the time that we have with you. Um, and that's through... Uh, talks and the talks we try and make as accessible as possible because the thing is what we're talking about generally is quite complex subjects we think about astronomy and we think about it as being this very glamorous uh, thing of looking through telescopes and discovering the wonders of the universe and stuff like that and that's essentially what it is guide the guests i guess through the complex subjects and find a common connection for them to uh, to gel with the subject um, and that's where the talks are led from i guess and then when they've done that and when they've had their topical talk we dance them around the building however you'd like to put that oh, dancing around the building would be quite nice wouldn't it actually um and then uh, <laughs> and show them all of the different parts of uh, of the observatory and get them engaging with things and interacting with things if we can do as well so we try and make it as interactive as possible there's unfortunately we are in a a, a shed on a hillside in yeah. the middle of uh, northumberland so we are restricted in some senses on what we can do but we still try and um, bring to life astronomy in all the experiences at the observatory regardless of the weather. 
Well, let's hear from a few people now who have made recent trips to Kielder Observatory. And first up is a lady called Emma. Now, I'm a voiceover artist. Um, Dan Pye is a voiceover artist. So what are the chances of one of our guests actually also being a voiceover artist and, and uh, neither of us actually realising until we uh, until we spoke to her? Um, Emma is actually the voice of London buses, <laughs> bizarrely enough, but um, among other things. But um, she's uh, been to Kielder Observatory a few times and we were asking her about the talk that she'd had so far just prior to going to look through the uh, the telescopes. And, and here's what she's had to say about her Kielder Observatory experience and the sort of information that she's learned that she can take away with her afterwards. Well, we had Ellie t- uh, talking to us and she's one thing she's exceptionally passionate about it. Um, and very knowledgeable and she just took us through the whole sort of asteroids and and where asteroids have hit you know in the craters and all that kind of thing and meteors and meteorites so it is you know it's an opportunity to learn but in a, a sort of a situation where you can sort of engage with it and she's got the sort of the samples of rock and if you're lucky you get out to go out and see the stars and I have to admit when we went up into the observatory whilst we couldn't use the the telescope tonight but the photos you have taken with that telescope are just incredible. They're absolutely beautiful. Would you say that you've learned things that you could take away with you that on a, on a clear night, wherever you may be, uh, you, could, you can put into practice? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we, we have a pretty good camera. And I think since we were last here, we've bought a different lens for it, haven't we? Yeah, we're going to have to start using it. And, and we need to... But every time you come, you sort of learn a bit more about how you need, where you need to be pointing. You know, the exposures your team are using are like 30 minutes. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. Um, I don't think I've quite managed that with mine, but, you know, it's that kind of thing. It, you know, it's, it's in, it, it inspires you to go away and sort of, you know, look at the night sky and get the camera out. So there's Emma who came to visit us a few weeks ago. And I think for Emma, while she has a, a big understanding of the night sky, I think more than anything from what she's saying there, it's reignited the passion for the night sky for her. But then you've got people as well who really don't know much about what goes on in space. And and you're there to provide that education as well that, that similarly can, can boggle people's minds. Yeah, that's it. And I think there's a lot of people who come to the observatory who... They've never actually spent any great deal of time thinking about what they're looking at in the night sky. Um, You can see the sudden realisation on people's faces sometimes when you say, oh, all the stars in the universe that we see, all the stars in the night sky that we see, they're suns just like our sun. And and many of them have planets going around them and their minds kind of go... Sometimes you can see that expression on people's faces. I've never considered that before. Um, And then even when we talk about things like shooting stars, stars don't shoot. That's bits of rock that come through the atmosphere. Did you know there's 50 tonnes of that that comes through the atmosphere every single day? Um, it's, it's incredible just to see the reactions on people's face, the realisation as to these things that we may think of as quite basic things for us to understand, but actually the mass population has never really considered. Because why would they? Why would they sit there and think about why it's, what are the stars and why are they there and stuff? But once they start to scratch that little itch, 
um, it becomes uh, even more of an intriguing topic for them. And that's where you disappear down the rabbit hole or black hole in this case. <laughs> Absolutely. And well, here's some uh, people now who also came to see us a few weeks ago and, and what their opinions were of, of what they'd learned on the evening. They came up from Gateshead, so obviously much more built up there around Gateshead and Newcastle, a lot more light pollution, so the, the stars that you can see above you in your back garden, for example, much different to what you can see in the dark sky park around the Northumberland National Park and particularly around Kielder, of course, as well. So here's some idea of what they learnt about, how their mind was boggled and um, their opinion of the night sky. I've learnt a lot. Yeah. I've learnt that a shooting star isn't a star, and I did, I thought it was. <laughs> So uh, that's, uh, that yeah. I'll sleep a lot easier tonight because uh, there's some, one of them astonishing facts. It's just like a, a, what was it, a grain of sand or a size of yeah. a piece of rice. Because on that uh, apple we're looking at, I picked up a couple of things. I thought oh, they must be satellites. And when I looked, they weren't. They were like uh, booster engines from like uh, old Russian Soyuz aircraft and things like that. So they're still floating about. When you live in cities and things, you don't see much. As you say, you see the big stars and things. Uh, so it's nice to get out when it's mm. nice and dark. Yeah. The sky was, it was the most stars I've ever seen of anywhere I've ever been. Yeah, you could see the Milky Way and everything. Just sitting in my chair looking out. It's just one thing you just stare at in wonder, isn't it? The night sky around the Northumberland National Park uh, when, when it uh, is at its best. Finn Burridge is one of our newest astronomers to join the team at Kielder Observatory. And um, Finn, what are the things that have really ignited the imaginations of the guests that you've been looking after when you've when you've been doing the the observing sessions or the talks what are the what are the big things in the night sky that really blow people's minds um so i've done i've done a couple uh, a lot of the observing sessions have been quite interesting i think when we do get some clear sky especially looking at the planets right now um because when you're looking at these planets especially uh, jupiter through the telescope uh, every now and then um the the moons line up in a certain way um, and you get this real understanding this real feeling that you are part of a moving solar system it's not just this static uh, sort of system that so if you look at saturn for example a lot of people go wow it almost looks like you've drawn that on the end of the lens because it is this sort of perfect beautiful um just dot with lovely rings Uh, whereas the other night we had a moon io so that's the, the closest of the, the big four moons to Jupiter. And it, it, it takes only a day and a half to do a, a complete orbit. And uh, while, while the group were, were observing, Io was right in front of the planet. So it was casting this shadow onto the surface of Jupiter. And over the course of the evening, uh, we watched this shadow move across the planet and then Io popped out the other side and you could see it now as a a bright dot and that really I mean that blew me away I remember just sort of standing there watching that thinking wow (laughs) that's an incredible sight and to the the guests that had come to observe as well suddenly they realized yeah this is this is live this is our solar system and we can see it with just a bit of glass bent in the right way move uh, in real time Uh, and that, for me, has been some of the best moments that I've had uh, with guests right now. And from that little chat that we just heard before there, where uh, the guest was pointing out the, his surprise at the amount of space junk there is still floating around uh, the planet as well. I think, you know, that's that's another side of, of things that 
something you can't see from the ground, but nonetheless it's there. And obviously that certainly sparked his imagination a little bit. That seems to be one of the things as well that a lot of people are surprised at, especially if they come from sort of cities um, where it's quite bright. You you will see maybe the odd satellite every every hour or so in, in a city. You'll see the really bright ones, uh, the ISS as well. If that ever makes a past, it, it's brilliantly, brilliantly bright. But at Kielder, when you look up, uh, even for just a minute or so, you will end up seeing them more and more, maybe one, two a minute. And people always go, wow, are, are there really this much stuff orbiting the planet? Um, and there is, there's a lot of stuff in low Earth orbit right now, almost too much. Because um, once it's there, it don't come down. It's mm. up there forever unless we go and get it. Uh, and that is one of the things that, that people are amazed at as well. Um, slightly closer to home than say the planets or the galaxies but uh, yeah that is one thing people people see a lot of it was the perseids meteor shower um the day that i went up uh to kielder observatory to record these interviews so the session that people had been in was all about um meteors meteorites uh and and the things that light up the night sky that that classes meteorites and they don't have to be armageddon sized massive rocks do they finn they, they, they can be actually just as the guy was mentioning before uh you know something the size of a, a grain of rice or a bit of sand is enough to to really light up the night sky and i think that surprises people how small the material can be to 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 cause that effect in the night sky they glow very very brightly because of how fast they're traveling i mean uh, even something the size of a of a fleck of paint going at you know sort of orbital speeds tens of kilometers a second will pack as much energy as a bullet and some of these objects that are a grain of sand are going much faster than that maybe 10 20 30 kilometers a second so when they hit our atmosphere they they compress the air uh, in front of it and this friction heats them up to hotter than the surface of the sun in some cases 6000 7000 degrees and for that brief moment they they shine very very brightly um, and it's a good job they're that small because the larger ones will will last uh, even longer in fact uh, the other night just a couple of nights ago i saw uh, one of the greatest shooting stars I'd ever seen. Uh, it was probably about the size of a football or so when it entered the atmosphere, and it streaked across the sky for about four and a half seconds, this bright, bright, bright orange light, um, and it, it totally blew me away. I was actually at home at the time um, my sister's birthday party, and we were out in the garden, and it really amazed us. And then tomorrow, when I went to work, uh, one of the guests got chatting with me, and he was up at uh, at Helvellyn that night, at the top of Helvellyn, which is very, very strange, but very, very far away. Um, and he actually mentioned, he said, well, I saw this this really bright meteorite at about half 11. And I said, oh, OK, was it in the sort of south southeastern uh, sky? He said, yeah, yeah, very low on the horizon. I said, was it orange? Lasted about three or four seconds. He said, yeah, yeah. And we'd ended up, one, seeing the same meteorite that night, and then two, He'd come to the observatory the next day on his travels up here and was able to tell me about it, which is an incredibly rare thing that two people see the same meteor on the sky. Um, but they are they are amazing, beautiful objects to see. And for some people, the meteor showers through the course of the year have special significance. We had one couple with us a few weeks ago when it was the Persids meteor shower. 
And for them, it was a bit of an anniversary because they got engaged during a meteor shower. The meteors were flying over their heads. And at the time they'd heard about the meteor shower was going to happen, they didn't realise that it was an annual event. So now they've got this same meteor shower to look back on. And, and here they are describing to us why the Persids meteor shower is so important to them. It definitely makes us think back because, uh, yeah, when we got engaged, we just sat out in the pier and just watched the sky and looked at all the uh, shooting stars and everything. So it was, uh, uh, it was really nice. Yeah, it's nice that we can look out for each year and now after tonight we understand it a bit better. So, yeah. That's a nice thing to have. You know, it's, it's going to be there every year, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. 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 <laughs> I know, yeah, we were learning it was going to be here for a long time as well, so <laughs> it's for the rest of our lifetime it'll be here, so that's really cool. And so where's the big day then? Next May. It was supposed to be this May, but... Um, yeah, because of, you know, yeah, situation at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> delayed, but uh, yeah, it's been nice to come here for a wee trip. And, uh, yeah. We're staying at the campsite just down the road, so it's got some really good views. We're like in one of the pods yeah. and just like turn off the lights and get a good view of the sky, hopefully. Yeah. So, well, in Edinburgh, you don't get, you don't see many stars at all. Um, Not as many. Emily's from Aberdeen, shower almost. So, yeah, you um, see a lot more up there. It's, you've seen the Northern Lights. Yeah, yeah. Northern Lights, and yeah, on a clear night you get a good view. Um, but yeah, with Edinburgh, it's a lot, got a lot more light pollution. Well, there's one of our recent guests, Emily, there talking about um, the night sky where she's from, which is uh, far in the, in the in the north of Scotland, in uh, around Aberdeen, uh, but on a visit to the Kielder Observatory for the Persids meteor shower, which was during August. And the good thing about it is, it's fairly reliable. So I'll be back again next August as well. Right now on the Kielder Observatory podcast, let's have a look ahead to what's happening through the month of September in the night sky. Director of Astronomy Dan Pye is back with us to talk through those events ahead through September, uh, along with Finn Burridge as well, who's one of our newest astronomers at the Kilda Observatory, to uh, look at what's coming up and also some uh, new stories that will be making the headlines from the world of astronomy and space in general over the past few weeks or so. And as we move in towards September, obviously the, the nights are getting darker now and uh, there's lots to see at this time of year, as we're mentioning right at the start. Let's have a look at some of the things that we can see then. What's going on in the night sky as we move through this month, Dan? So we've got Neptune at opposition on the 14th of September and also Mercury at its greatest eastern elongation um, on, the, on the same day as well. So two good days for two hard-to-see planets. You're going to need a telescope to see both of these. Uh, both of these. The Mercury is going to be a good time to, to look at Mercury because it's, it's the furthest away from the sun for us. So we'll be able to see it um, after sunset um, across towards the uh, the western horizon. And in, in fact, actually, uh, Mercury, is it a one that you can see with the naked eye? Is it a one that you can you see can with the naked indeed. eye? You can indeed. I think you can, can't just you? Yeah. Very, just very, very just. About. You yeah. have to be. You have to have a really good view of the western horizon, mm. um, because it, it 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 does trail the sun quite quite close. It is the nearest planet to the sun, so it never gets that far away. But if the sun goes down and you do have a good view, you can just see this sort of pale point of light following the sun, chasing it up after sunset. Uh, sunset, yeah. 
Yeah, so definitely uh, keep an eye out for that around the 14th of September. And the 14th of uh, September as well, of course, Neptune in opposition. Um, if you've got a telescope and you can try and point, <laughs> you're going to need a big telescope for this. It's quite a difficult object to see is Neptune. I mean, it's sat currently, what, 2.8 billion miles away from our planet and it's not particularly a big planet either. It was first discovered by, um, was it mathematics was uh, Neptune yes. first discovered? Oh, yeah. yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about that, I think, because I, I don't really know much about maths. <laughs> yeah, so it was uh, it was it was predicted really rather than it was discovered um, back in the the eighteen hundreds. Um, we noticed that the other the other planets um, their orbits weren't uh, weren't matching up perfectly with what we we currently had in the solar system. So we we know pretty well how gravity works, and it was Kepler that came up with his three laws of planetary motion, and they do a very very good job. Uh, describing the orbits of the planets so we'd uh, we got these huge charts obviously back then it all had to be done by hand it was quite a slog um and they essentially they'd predicted the the locations of the planets in the sky for the next uh, coming century or so and then when we went out with telescopes and we observed them uh, the planets uh like uranus uh, and and saturn were slightly out they were slightly uh off in their their predicted orbits uh, which wasn't good because it meant there was something out there we didn't know. So they 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 sat around, they scratched their heads for a bit, and uh, we came up with an idea that there was another planet out there uh, that had a certain mass, quite a large mass, that must be affecting the orbits of these planets. And they uh, they they worked out where in the night sky it should be. So we combed through the night sky with telescopes and eventually uh, we discovered it. And I can't quite remember exactly what date it was discovered. Um, but I do know that we knew about Neptune before we knew about Antarctica even. <laughs> so, yeah, we hadn't discovered our t Antarctica but before we'd uh, sort of predicted and then discovered the existence of Neptune. That's interesting. And, and Neptune's quite an interesting place as well, isn't it? I mean, it's a very uh, limited amount of information we have on Neptune, but... We one of the things that we do know is about um, is about Triton, its largest moon of uh, Neptune's got about thirteen moons, but its largest one is called Triton, and and Triton is the only moon in the solar system that um, orbits in the opposite direction to the planet's rotation, which is very interesting, and very confusing, and potentially I think there's a theory that suggests that Triton may have potentially been a, a small dwarf planet in itself that was captured by Neptune, isn't that right? Something like that. Yeah. So, so mo most moons will orbit in the same direction their planet has has um, is spinning because uh, during planetary formation, these these large gas giants would have had like material going around it, and everything at the time came from the original motion of the solar system, which was in one direction. Uh, but every now and then, uh, a large planet like um, like Neptune may stray too close to another body in the solar system, another smaller planet. And if they get close enough, uh, without colliding, of course, it can sort of snatch it and capture it into an orbit on its own. Uh, but if it was approaching at the wrong side, then it now uh, essentially will orbit in the wrong direction. Uh, and that's how we think uh, the moon Triton was was captured by Neptune, mm, essentially. What a thief, eh? And, and Triton's are. also quite significant for another purpose as well, because um, other than Io, Venus and the Earth, it's the only other body in the solar system that we currently know to have a volcanically active um, um, surface region as well, which is quite interesting. 
um, to, to, to know that that far out from the sun we've still got volcanoes erupting, although I would imagine they wouldn't be as ferocious as the ones on Io, maybe. Perhaps, perhaps not. Uh, it is sort of um, rare for smaller bodies like that to have uh, volcanism, of course. Volcanoes on Earth powered by our molten core. And we're only able to have a, a hot molten core because we're, we're quite large. And we've got lots of radioactive isotopes that are giving off energy all the time in our core, uh, which keeps the planet's interior hot. But something as small as Triton a lot smaller than the Earth, shouldn't really have a molten core. It should have, it should have um, sort of frozen out and dried up long ago. Uh, perhaps then interactions with its host planet that sort of pull and tug on the moon, uh, a bit like an elastic band being stretched and pulled, will heat up. Uh, that might have kept the, the interior of Triton um, hot for long enough that it has volcanoes. But uh, it does need some, some extra, extra work because we're not 100% sure yet. It's fascinating. And when we're talking about Neptune, of course, you said we get a fairly reasonable view of that um, at this time of year. Um, but you will need quite a big telescope. Of course, Kielder Observatory does have quite a big telescope. So what would you expect to see of Neptune then? If you're going to put your, your eye to the eyepiece, what sort of view do we get of Neptune? How to, it's, it's nice to see it. <laughs> to see it nice. <laughs> um, it, is, it is a very small, <laughs> pale blue dot, um, <laughs> which it, it looks very different to the other stars around it in terms of as far as dots go. But because it's so far away, it's, it's a very small, pale blue dot. Um, and it's, it's incredible to see when you see it because it's one of those things that you've got to remember what it is that you're physically looking at. You're looking at something that you can't see with the naked eye, that it is on the distant reaches, far reaches of our solar system, the furthest actual planet in our solar system that you're looking at through a telescope. So I think it's more of a consider what you're looking at thing rather than it's um, visibly the most incredible thing you've seen mm. because it's just so far away. It's, it's such a, a dim, tiny little dot that it's very difficult. It's even quite difficult to see with our telescopes, to be honest. My missus has just got a T-shirt printing machine. I'm, I'm going to get that. I think we should do one for each planet based on, yeah. on what you say about them. So I'll get a T-shirt that says Neptune. It's nice to see it. And I think there was a few like podcasts it. ago where I was slating Saturn as well, wasn't there? So there's probably something that you can... Saturn, it's not as good as you hope. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think there's a range there of t-shirts. There's something for the shop at Kielder. Honest mm. appraisals of planets t-shirts. <laughs> um a couple of other bits of, of news from uh, from space that um, we should mention. Um, the the Perseverance rover, remember that from a little while back, and uh, all the the immediate excitement. Um, well, it's finally started doing some work, and um, they went off to drill a, a, a soil sample from Mars, and, and the first drill came back empty. So that was looking a little bit awkward. So they they had another shot, and they actually got some some um, some samples this time. So that's. I think Japan are going to be involved in bringing it back. I'm not sure exactly when that's going to be, but um, exciting that the, the system's working and it looks like they've got some, some meaningful samples from, uh, from the surface of Mars at, at long last. Yeah, and that'll be really exciting to uh, to get back to Earth as well because, of course, the current samples of Mars that we've got on Earth have made their own way here. 
Um, so they've uh, they've been chipped off of, I guess, you're chipped off of or blown away from Mars as a result of some big impacts on the on the Martian surface and chucking it out into the rest of space. But of course, those samples they could they could be contaminated. They've come through the atmosphere. They've been subject to those temperatures and, of course, Earth's uh, environmental impact for a short period of time as well. So they're contaminated, I guess, if you wanted to maybe think of it that way. So um, getting some physical uh, rock from the surface of Mars um, should hopefully enlighten us a little bit more about the the the, the geology of Mars um, more than we more than we currently know, and we 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 do we currently know quite a lot about the the surface of Mars and its geology, and potentially inside of Mars as well. I'd like to think that it's roaming with all sorts of um, microbial life underneath the surface of Mars. And maybe that's something that we'll find in this little rock sample as well. Maybe we'll find some microbial life. Probably not, but um, it's nice to think about uh, at least. So maybe if we continue digging, the rover might find a little uh, hollow pocket of ground and get sucked into the surface of Mars and into a big pit and find that there's loads of life teeming underneath the... Uh, that's just me living in some kind of fantasy world now, I think. But <laughs> who knows? Some kind of scene from, like, a Labyrinth or something going on in yeah. there. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Um, there's a, another big event that's um, been revealed, I think, in the last day, actually, at the time of the recording this. And this is something that's been spotted... Um, with the Very Large Array Telescope, which is um, in the New Mexican desert. And um, I've seen something quite unusual, I think something that's not really been seen before. And um, it's a star gulping down a black hole and then exploding, mm. um, which is a very rare event. And um, these were scans of the night sky, I think, in, in 2017. But they've, they've finally... Um, you know, had the result of, of all the analysis of all the data they got from when they were doing this scan and been keeping an eye on it all. And and as astronomers, this this must be really interesting to see because it's it's something that happens really far far away in, in, in deep space um, and, and not something that you get to see very often at all. And they've, they've done an artist impression of, of what, it, what it would have looked like. And um, it does look like something out of a, a sci-fi movie with blue rings. Oh, yeah. You know, like, uh, almost like uh, you've, you've thrown a stone in a pond, but um, that happening with light, it's, uh, it's quite a scary thing. Yeah, these are some of the, the, the most sort of energetic, violent events in the entire universe. Uh, and they're really, really, really important for, for astrophysics right now. Um, they're essentially uh, systems of, of they're called binary systems. So they're basically solar systems with two suns rather than one, and they will orbit uh, each other. Uh, for the vast majority of their lives, these two suns, uh, they're in their main sequence. That's their adult life. Everything's wonderful and, and calm. Um, but uh, as they begin to approach the end of their life, uh, one of these stars, the the larger star, will have will have ballooned up into a red giant uh, or a red hypergiant, even if it's if it's this large, before collapsing down into a black hole. Uh, so now in this system, you would have had a, a single star and a black hole orbiting one another very very closely, uh, and sometimes, usually. Uh, you get these very, very weird objects. They're called contact binaries. It's where the two stars are so close that their atmospheres interact and they, f they basically form a big peanut star uh, that stays quite stable. Uh, but with the black hole now, rather than a star, it's quite an unstable system. And eventually the black hole spiraled in uh, before hitting the star. The star sort of swallowed up this black hole. Uh, the black hole hit the core 
of that star, uh, making it incredibly, incredibly dense uh, uh, and kicking up the fusion process into like maximum gear, essentially. The star couldn't handle it at all and it completely exploded. Um, but they're very, very, very intense events and they release uh, uh, lots of light, of course, as well as gravitational waves. So uh, earlier, a couple of years ago, we, we detected uh, two neutron stars collide, which are a little bit sm like, uh, very, very intense um, stellar remnants, very dense objects, and they were also in a, in a binary system. But this gravitational interaction of the spinning stars uh, ripples the fabric of space-time, a bit like you were saying when you sort of drop something in a pond and you get these waves. Uh, that happens with gravity, uh, with space-time itself stretching and squashing space. Um, and we can measure it very, 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 uh, very, very small movements, less almost the width of a single atom space is, is squashed. Uh, but now that we can measure that, we're not just reliant on light. So we can use a, another tool to observe uh, the universe now rather than just light, because there are some problems with light. Namely, it gets blocked very easily by dust and stuff like that uh, or bent around galaxies, whereas now we can detect things directly with gravitational waves. Very, very useful. It's a bonkers phenomenon, and and the the black hole, of course, will have been filling up with all sorts of stuff potentially o over time. So, what happened to the black hole? Does the black hole live on? Does the black hole reversed and exploded? What 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 happens to everything that was in there? Well, usually, what happens when things enter a black hole is they're sort of gobbled up forever and they stay in there. Um, the star itself will have will have probably exploded because of the the additional fusion. Um, I would imagine that the original black hole that was sort of swallowed by that star would then survive. Uh, I don't think it would have been sort of destroyed because if anything, all it would have been doing is getting more dense. <laughs> it would have been eating more stuff, getting bigger and bigger. Um, so, yeah, I think essentially now what you will have is a single sort of slightly larger black hole surrounded by the guts of this star that it's sort of blown apart yeah. it's not a place you want to be uh visiting anytime soon is it <laughs> probably quite, quite probably hostile. not no yeah <laughs> well they're <laughs> calling it um, they're calling it space cannibalism that's the uh, the phrase yes. that's been used <laughs> mm, yeah i mean st stars eating stars i suppose it is sort of cannibalism yeah, yeah. <laughs> at least it waved goodbye even though that's it was true. using gravity yeah yeah <laughs> well, that brings us nicely to our Pie in the Sky feature when Director of Astronomy Dan Pie shows us a different part of the sky that we maybe have not taken a particular notice of before. So for any amateur astronomers out there, um, something that you may not have seen, something new for you to point your telescope at or binoculars or even just your naked eye. So Dan, for the month of September, where should we be looking in the night sky? I think I think we'll go with the constellation this time, um, and and the reason why I love this constellation is because um, well, I just do. I like the animal that it represents. Uh, it's it's swimming through the Milky Way or just dancing on the waves of the Milky Way off towards the the west hand side of the the sorry the east hand side of the Milky Way. So closest to Pegasus, there's two constellations. Um, in between Pegasus and the, that central core structure of the Milky Way. And one of those constellations is a diamond shape with a little stalk that comes off of it. So if you can find the star Altair, which sits at the very bottom 
of uh, the Summer Triangle, which um, if you're an amateur astronomer, hopefully you should know the Summer Triangle right now. It's uh, made up of uh, Deneb, Vega and Altair. Um, and the, the next, to, uh, next to Altair, to the left-hand side of Altair as you're looking at it, um, and up a little bit, you'll find the constellation of Delphinus. And Delphinus is a dolphin dancing through the Milky Way or splashing through the Milky Way. And I think it's a really nice uh, little constellation that looks like what it's supposed to look like. So there we go. Delphinus is my uh, collection of stars of the month. <laughs> and so that's in the eastern side of the Milky Way that we're looking for, a little, little dolphin-shaped constellation. See that? Yeah. You've achieved the aim. <laughs> Before we go then, let's have a look ahead to uh, things coming up at Kielder Observatory, in particular over the month of September and perhaps into October. I know that things are very, very busy. Of course, we're out of the school holidays now, but half term will be coming at the end of October. What uh, what things have you got on the on the radar that um, that people might be interested in attending, if there's anything available? And of course, for those that have got their tickets, just a reminder of the stuff that is coming up. Uh, yeah, we're sold out. Um, so uh, join the queue. <laughs> uh, keep checking out on our social media page um, because that's where we post our cancellations. If somebody's cancelling an event, we'll put the tickets up for sale on our social media and you'll be able to grab them probably for the same day um, on some occasions as well. So keep out for keep an eye out for a clear night coming your way if you've been before and you haven't had a clear night it might be your opportunity to get one um, we've got all sorts of events running through the rest of September um, which are uh, things like things like our, our origins of the universe is on its way we've got uh, our dark universe we've got um, myths and legends which is becoming a very popular event as well and of course our aurora nights and as we start to creep into the darker nights the chances of seeing the aurora better is getting better as well and then when we creep towards the equinox it's always around the equinoxes that we see more aurora activity so maybe just maybe this time we might see some aurora that creeps down to us here in northern england and we might be able to see it from across the north of the uk and maybe even a little bit further down we've seen some really strong activity on the solar surface recently so that that might be the case who knows um and and that's the things i guess uh, to look forward to we've also got um hopefully by the end of october i would like to hope that the Italians can come and visit us again um, uh, yes. and install our radio <laughs> telescope, which is still sat in a barn somewhere in Northumberland waiting to be installed. So hopefully that'll get installed um, in the next couple of months as well. Yeah, that'd be fantastic to get that finally. Because I think oh, while we've been doing this podcast for, for however many months now, a, a year I think now almost, it's there's just been this chat about these mystical Italians who uh, who may or may not come at some point to install a radio telescope. So it'd be great to actually get them here uh, once and for all and to, and to get that up and running because that'll be a, a complete new um, dimension, won't it, to, to, to the things that you can do. And just an overview of, of what what sort of stuff you will be able to do with, with that if you get a radio telescope. Well, the good thing is with radio telescopes is that they can see through cloud, uh, <laughs> which is always very <laughs> useful. Um, although we, when we talk about looking through things with radio astronomy, obviously radio astronomy is looking at a different part of, of the electromagnetic spectrum. So it's not looking in a visible part of the spectrum as such. Um, however, we can transform the signals to uh, to a visible kind of image. You may have seen some stuff which has been captured by 
radio telescopes before and we've been able to produce an image. Really what we're trying to do is um, is, is utilise it on, on uh, for a different a different way of looking at the night sky. It's been used mostly for research. Um, that's his purpose for being constructed is to look at the sun. Um, but on nights where we can we can observe things like and um, potentially um, black hole at the middle of our galaxy fin. Um, things yeah. like um, Jupiter and and the sun. Um, all of those things are, are firing off all sorts of radio signals that we can hone our telescope into. As ever, keep up to date with everything that's happening at Kilda Observatory online via the main website, which is kildaobservatory.org, or you can head to social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're there on all of them, and we'll be able to, as Dan mentioned, share details of any last-minute cancellations for any of the sessions if you want to uh, come up and take in the Kilda experience for yourself at short notice. And, of course, the, the best of all the news that's happening from Kilda Observatory and some amazing images as and when we get them as well, all shared on the various social media feeds. Have a great month staring into space. Hopefully see some great stuff. And, of course, if you do um, spot anything in the night sky, feel free to share your images with us as well because we always like to see what you've been up to wherever you may be. My thanks to Dan Pye. Thank you. See you later. And to Finn Burridge. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And we'll catch you next month on the Kielder Observatory podcast. And remember, it's all about Neptune this month. It's nice to see it. <laughs> <laughs>